0: Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Lock it alone!
1: Fire! Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel, we are energizing transporter beam, now. Welcome everyone to Star Trek from the Holodeck. This is the Lower Decks Edition, and I'm your host, Michael Flores, and the captain of the USS Rain Man Digital. And in the Starship with me today is Ensign Davis of all. Hello, David.
0: Hello, how's it going,
1: Captain? You got your single pip on? I know it's not a piece of corn either. Okay, I was about to ask that, because I know I didn't promote you. (laughs) Has to be a piece of corn. Has to be a piece of corn. Yeah. All right, so today we're going to be talking about episode two of season two. Kayshawn, his eyes open. Dude, I I love that callback. I don't know. I love that character. I love Mike McMahon, dude. The guy just dabbles in the most funnest areas of Star Trek, both the mainstream aspects and also the very aspects of Star Trek that you can call deep cuts. Well, and it's... He likes to flex his Star Trek knowledge. Let's be clear.
0: And here's the thing. He's not flexing it in a, you know, nerd-heavy type of way. He's just showing how fun Star Trek could be. Yeah. And that's the amazing part, especially for me in this episode. I was like, like he's really trying to show people, Hey, this is how star Trek was, could be fun. And it doesn't have to take itself too seriously.
1: Right. Not all the time, it, uh, you're touching on something that's very much at the core of this episode because wow, Dave, yes. there are lots of things in this episode that can be called firing shots.
0: And here was the funny part. I didn't realize it. Until my second watch through because I was like going would he actually do this on purpose it was blatant or is this or, or, or I kept thinking to myself the first time I watched it is this just because of how I feel about the new era
1: okay that makes sense yeah you know like a little bit of disbelief possibly like no he's no. not really doing this he's is not he really doing there? he really going exactly.
0: there's yeah. no way there's no way okay. but by the time I watched it the second time I'm going yeah he is yeah. he is and he it, a lot of
1: people might think it's malicious, no, but I'm like going, no, I don't think it is yeah, I'm glad we're on the same page with that because that's what I was going to get to in a second, because yes, in my opinion, it was blatantly obvious that Mike McMahon and his team were presenting an argument for i don't know if it's the return to the earlier days of Trek, but at least the appreciation for the earlier days of Trek when times were slower, contemplative about the exploration of humanity. And not just we explore space. But the true exploration of humanity. Not just death defying. Existential crisis. Twist ending reveals at every corner. And I believe that was even a line in the episode. Boiler made at the end. Yes. Um, And I will pull the actual quote. I think I have it here in a moment. Towards the end of the episode. Lower decks. Once again. Falling into those Star Trek tropes. And using the art of parody to tell a very unique and original story, which doesn't even make sense. You're falling into Star Trek tropes using parody, and yet you're still telling a unique Star Trek story. That's quite the skill set when you really break down what's being done. Yes. Because on top of making a statement about the two versions of Trek, they also put the duality of the Trek franchises and films under the spotlight as they contrast the differences in Starfleet's agenda by taking a look at both the militaristic and the scientific sites and proceeding to contrast the two by using the old era of Trek and the new era of Trek and honestly Dave I feel like that was more or less the statement opposed to firing shots I know I know a lot of blogs really want to, you know, stoke the fires, stoke the fire and everything. Yes. I mean, this episode did set the Trek world ablaze this morning when I logged on to social media, (laughs) I I saw numerous blogs posting hyperbolic headlines like lower decks is an indictment of Abrams and Kurtzman era. Star Trek lower decks takes Kurtzman era to task all hands on deck, lower decks has just fired on Kurtzman era. (laughs) I, I mean, the headlights are clever and I had some fun with them, but I don't necessarily think that's what Mike McMahon, Mike McMahon was attempting to do. I don't think he was trying to be malicious or possibly even going into the shit talking area of that. People are thinking he's doing. I honestly think it was just, Hey, listen, there are two sides of track. This is one and this is the other. Let's compare and contrast.
0: Yes. Absolutely. I think that that's what he was doing because like, while, you know, people would say that his rendition of the newer Trek era through the Titan might be an indictment. The Titan still looks great. I'm sorry. Those characters look fine. Yeah. I mean, that's just who they are. And I think that that was actually the, the really impressive part for me for this episode, because he was able to tell a story without making anyone look bad. Yeah. You know, like, does Riker, by the end of this, do
1: you hate Riker? No, is actually one of the funniest things in this episode. So what actually governs much of Star Trek, especially the older days of Star Trek? Yeah. Philosophy. Philosophy. And honestly, this felt like a very meta approach to looking at Star Trek, the different sides of Star Trek, through a lens of the philosophical. Yeah. It was presenting ideas, not necessarily saying this is how it is in, a, in an absolute fashion. It was laying down the facts, the pieces of evidence if you will. Exhibit A, Exhibit B. Now you guys decide which is better. And listen, some fans will gravitate to the newer era and say they like the the action. However, you know, Mike McMahon using this meta angle is actually digging into an area of the fandom that that is that is adamantly against this new era of Star Trek. Yes, for whatever reasons. In fact, the the comment that Boylemer makes about you know existential crisis, crisis and reveals at every corner, you know, action oriented, whatever his words were, I'm paraphrasing. That is actually a complaint within the Star Trek fandom when it comes to the Kurtzman era. Mm -hmm. They say, why does every episode of Discovery Picard have to have someone crying? Why does someone have to be overly dramatic? Why does it have to be depressing? Why does it have to be these grand scale reveals? The universe is going to end type of stories, So that is a complaint that a lot of Star Trek fans old school Trek fans have launched over at the Kurtzman era producers. Yeah, And I'm of the school of thought that Trek can be many things. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, Discovery was the start of the new era and Discovery's Discovery. Now if every new show that comes out is like Discovery, then we might have a problem. Yes. But we also have Strange New Worlds coming out. Prodigy. Which is supposed to be a bit of a hearkening back to the earlier days of Star Trek and and the ways of writing. Yeah. It's going to be more episodic, but also not forget characterization and character motivation. So it's Mm going to be more or less like Deep Space Nine and next generation and voyager where they have those episodic moments but also everything that happens in a previous episode does matter to that character's development during that current season. Yes. So I don't necessarily subscribe to that line of thinking that a lot of the the anti kurtzman Trek fans subscribe to. I don't either. I, they have a valid argument, I'm not going to say yeah. they don't, but I also we have been given one example Picard is its own thing. It's really hard to put your (laughs) finger on what exactly it is. Because honestly, with that first season, I don't even think the writers know what Picard is.
0: Well, remember, we talked about it in Picard that they didn't even know where they were going by the middle of the season. Literally, they didn't know. They didn't know. And that is an issue. But like the one thing, too, that I always felt when people... Because I read a lot of the articles talking about this today was like people are forgetting that while this new era of Star Trek focuses a lot of action, if you look at a lot of the movies you know the the movies that even us as Star Trek fans love they 're high action absolutely I mean yeah. you look at say for example, and i 'm not even talking about like even the older movies. You know, the movies that Star Trek fans hold in high regard, like First Contact, that was high octane action. Yeah. And, or you look at something like um, even old school, look at Wrath of Khan. Wrath of Khan is action.
1: Yeah. So, and, and Doom and Gloom. And Doom and yeah. Gloom. And that's why I don't subscribe necessarily to that line of thinking. Again, I understand. Their complaints, yeah, they they do. There are there is some validity to those issues, but that's why I liked what Mike McMahon did with this episode of Trek because it felt like he does have a favorite, which is fine. He's yeah. a, a writer on his own show, and he can definitely say, "Hey, this is uh, this is my favorite." That's <laughs> why I'm favorite? having fun with it. But also, I don't feel like he's directly taking a squad on Kurtzman era. It feels no. more or less like he's being. Uh, philosophical and fair by presenting the two options.
0: Well, especially since the visually, the way that he decided to design uh, the, the choice of designs in the characters this episode really show that point. I mean, like, you, with the Cerritos crew, you have more of the classic TNG exactly. uniforms. Yep. You have the high colors. You have the blue, red, yellows. But when you get to the Titan, the Titan more or less looks like the movie uniforms Mm -hmm. to me like especially if you look at like rikers and it's pretty much exactly like the one that you would see in uh, first contact or even nemesis yeah and that's what i think open uh, honestly is what he's trying to show is like star trek can show many facets in different ways and uh, i agree with you i think that basically the tng errors is favorite because he could have so much fun with it
1: and isn't that the entire point of lower decks as well the idea that star trek can be fun and it can be it can be many things it doesn't always have to be what you have been given throughout the years yeah yeah so i mean i can i can understand how many deduced you know that mcmahon is calling out names Believe me, my mouth dropped during several moments because I was in disbelief that this episode even aired. I mean, yes. I mean, I, I, if Kurtzman like saw this, go what the fuck? Yeah, Kurtzman's <laughs> probably not intelligent enough to even understand what <laughs> Mike McMahon did. He's like, oh, wait a second, I, I think something's off about this. I'm starting to think. Uh, oh, it's gone. I don't know. And Mike McMahon's like, there here. He, have a cookie. Yeah. <laughs> go get it. Go get it. Yeah, but it is obvious in its message. I don't believe it's meant to be as scathing as people are reporting. To me, this episode felt very much like Trek. Yeah. When it comes to an intent, when it comes to intent, it was almost philosophical in its approach. It presented the two versions of Trek in parallel narratives, which I thought was very fucking smart. As you had mentioned, one is Boimler on board the Titan, where action and craziness (laughs) happens at every corner. Yes. The second is the Cerritos, our Lower Decks crew. They are dealing with the everyday occurrences of being a part of Starfleet, the classic TOS and TNG era type stories. And by presenting these two thoughts in the form of dual narratives, that interweave all the way to that final statement that Boiler, Boimler prefers the simpler life. I mean, that yes. was, again, the intention. This isn't a secret. Most can easily realize how different in scale these episodes are when it comes to Kurtzman. So we understand that Lower Decks is different. We understand that the TNG era is different. And he was presenting this argument and made it very clear a lot of people don't realize, and I'm losing my train of thought here because I have so many notes in front of me right now. But um, I feel like the reason why so many people uh, don't quite understand the Kurtzman era. And let me just say this because I don't want to be trolled on social media, Dave, and and be called um, Kurtzman shills. Kurtzman shills. You know, that we're selling his dirty product because I've taken Kurtzman to task many times. I'm not a huge fan of Kurtzman per se. And I do have problems with various things he has done in the ways of Star Trek. But at the same time, people want to complain about the Kurtzman era. Yes. But they also have to take into account the time frame we're in and the new style of television writing. Uh A lot of writing is now melodramatic. There's a lot of doom and gloom. There's a lot of sadness. It's basically Oscar winning and Emmy winning material, which has to do with with deep dark issues and serious themes and really peeling back the the layers of characters. That's what a lot of modern television does. And honestly, if they would have given us, let's say curse, decided to produce a show just like Voyager and TNG. There's a reason why Voyager's ratings were failing towards the end. There's a reason why enterprise got canceled. Not because they're, they suck because in retrospect, when you go back and watch, they're quite, they're quite good. The problem is that the audiences, appetites were changing yes drastically so in order for star trek to work they had to accommodate and adapt and adapt and that's why we have the jj abrams movies that's why we have the kurtzman era star trek now that being said it doesn't mean other things can't work but we have to be careful and be safe and the reason why we were given discovery uh, first Was because they were playing it safe. Hey, this is a show that many people can rally behind, not just Star Trek fans. It's going to appeal to other fans as well.
0: The one thing, too, is I think a lot of Star Trek, quote unquote, fans that basically want to gravitate and say that, oh, look, look, this is Mike McMahon's show uh, siding with us. Yeah. That basically the new era of Kurtzman sucks. (laughs) Right. And the problem is those same fans are the ones that basically don't, they look at the series and say how great the series was, how great a lot of the past Star Trek was, but they're the same fans that basically would complain about silly shit.
1: Yeah, it's true. Unfortunately, fandoms are fickle. It happens. I mean, we are a part of that and we are also very fickle at times. Now, that being said, it's obvious that McMahon is making an argument for possibly a return to the Golden Age of Trek. I don't think he's shitting on what we're getting now. No. But he possibly is making an argument or even stating a preference. Or even stating like something like, Star
0: Trek can't forget what it is. Yeah.
1: You know that, I can definitely agree that that's what he's saying. Absolutely. We'll see what happens. Well, if uh, season three gets canceled and Mike McMahon gets the boot, then we know <laughs> we Kurtzman know. took great offense. <laughs> and then at that point, then, then we can all yell at Kurtzman for being an idiot. Oh, he better not fire Mike McMahon. This is some great Star Trek. This is
0: good Star Trek. Yeah.
1: And that being said, outside of all of that that we just talked about, we were actually given tons of Trek references. The return of the collectors from TNG, (laughs) which allowed for 20,000 different references in just a matter of seconds. There was too much for me to even keep up with. (laughs) I was trying to take detailed notes of everything I saw in the collector space or starship. I couldn't. So I had to rely on good old fashioned dinner geek again. (laughs) They had things listed that they, they must have like an entire writing staff. Watching these episodes and picking out everything because even with my vast Star Trek knowledge, there's no way I could have picked out all of these things. Yeah. So let's go through these one by one and talk about them briefly. The collectors, the idea of various collectors in the galaxy references Kivas Fajo. I believe that's how you name or Fajo. And the most toys. Uh, this is what Freeman means by they all tried to collect data. That episode yes. always bothered me. Not that it wasn't good. It was good. It was just unsettling. The cold callousness of the, of the collector. I think that that's the whole point though. Yeah. Is like to show just
0: the, 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 the dark side of someone who essentially is a hoarder.
1: <laughs> a hoarder and also someone that doesn't acknowledge the, the autonomy yes. of, of a life form. And how he disregards his own freedom as something not important because he deems him not quite human enough, insignificant. So, yeah, it was a, a good episode. and I did, a good I did episode. like that they brought that back.
0: And it was a really important episode, too, if you think about it, to the characterization of Data. Because... Data was being treated as a thing. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then you get like the episode where Picard has to make the argument of how Data isn't a thing. He's an individual. And He's a,
1: he has his own being. And the reason why that episode was so relevant at the time was because this was during a time in TNG when people in Starfleet were questioning Data's ability as a human As a leader should he be given this Freedom can we just take him can we uh, Take his daughter from him That he created because we know what's Best there was a lot of questions Pertaining to The idea that He's truly alive and That he's a person Okay so items owned by The collector Captain McCard, paper mache head from Captain Picard Day. (laughs) Yes, Captain Picard Day. I love that, dude. The Game, TNG, The Game. The Baseball Bat and Ball from Deep Space Nine. A Giant Unicorn. I don't know what that means, but they said it's from a Blade Runner reference. That doesn't even make sense. Yes. Khan's Necklace, The Wrath of Khan. The Valiant Flight Recorder from the original series where no man has gone before. The Gold TOS Uniform. Giant Pink Tribble. Yes. Okay, this was an interesting one. The M113 Lifeform from the original series, The Man Trap. The Katan Probe. The Klingon Batleth. These are all easy stuff. And oh, yeah. du- the Andorian dueling weapon. Shark in a tank. I don't know where that's from. Mars Rover. Did you see that? Because I, I saw I, the Mars rover. Okay. I was like, I, "They're pulling out everything." I mean, it's not even not even Star Trek reference. It's not even Star Trek or pop culture things too.
0: And that's what Mike McMahon's fantastic at. Yeah, I mean, he's really while he's making Star Trek jokes. I think the smart thing in this episode was he was making jokes the mass audience could get. Yeah, and if you think about it, that, was the, That's the strength of Rick and Morty, like. Normal audiences can get Rick and Morty, a lot of their pop culture references. And seeing Mike McMahon focus on pop culture, but also focusing on Star Trek was really cool. It shows the 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 strength of actually writing references and Easter eggs because it's one of those things that me and you have talked about in nauseam with like Discovery when they tried to do Easter eggs and they tried to basically make just a reference and it has nothing to do with the story but hey look we know Star Trek look over here over here Mike McMahon's pretty much like no he doesn't do he doesn't do the over here thing he
1: says I'm just going to put it out here because I know that reference and I know people will not understand and I like how he does it because this could be very distracting if other lesser showrunners were doing things like this because they want to make sure you know what it is hey good look guys but these are properly placed references. These are properly placed Easter eggs. They don't distract. They add to the watchability of many of these episodes for Star Trek fans because we have fun going back and seeing what we can we can pinpoint. There was also Chateau Picard <laughs> the wine crate. Uh, there oh was Data's Picasso esque cool. painting of Spot. Yes, the one that I really like. Was the remains of Spock (laughs) 2. Okay. Now people aren't aware of what that is. That is a deep cut. To me that's the deep cut. That's a deep cut. That's taken from the animated series. Um, In the spooky skeleton room. Where we see what appears to be a giant humanoid skeleton. Wearing a blue TOS era Starfleet uniform. Who is this? The best guest. It's giant Spock clone from the animated series episode, The Infinite Vulcan. Vulcan. If you're not familiar with that episode of the animated series, it was actually written by Chekhov, Walter Cohen. Yep. When the Enterprise discovers a long lost civilization of plant like aliens, Spock is kidnapped and cloned by a (laughs) eugenics war scientist.
0: And see, just that simple explanation, Mike, is why
1: people need to go watch the original series animated show. It's not considered canon as far as I know, but because of ink because of things like this, I think we talked about this during our discussion, I think it was last season's of Dis- was it last season Discovery that we talked about this. No, it was Discovery season two with Spock's introduction and the Alice in Wonderland book and how it was read to them as children which was taken from an episode of the animated series. And we had said, okay, so the animated series isn't necessarily canon any longer or if it ever was, but because writers keep pulling from the animated series and including it into their Star Trek shows, essentially those elements are becoming canon because of writers bringing them into their shows. Yes. And that part is fun. I do like that because the animated series is really good. It is. If you are a Star Trek fan, uh, specifically a fan of the original series, you would enjoy the fuck out of it. If you've never watched it, you should. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it
0: introduces characters that are long forgotten. And only nowadays you see references to the uh, animated series, especially bringing characters in like Eric's. Yeah. into, Into the comics. Yeah. And I, I'm waiting for Mike McMahon to bring in Eric's Alien at one point. <laughs> well, did he
1: not do it with the episode where um, oh, wait. they took they I took them to a did. planet where Boimler went? Like, well, they took handicapped people there, people who were injured. Yes, they were injured. And,
0: and the oddities right. of Starfleet. That's right. It's yeah. the
1: oddities of Starfleet. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoy the hell out of this show. I, I do it, too. It def- the way the writers balance the parody from the meta, and then with the actual story that actually matters, I guess you can say, they do such a great job because outside of all the meta aspects and the the Star Trek flex that Mike McMahon likes to do on Kurtzman and everyone else out there to prove that he is a Star Trek fan, we also get good character development. We got a oh, lot absolutely. on every single one of our characters. Tendi and Rutherford got to shine as leaders and to show everyone that sometimes uh, being a macho shoot first ask questions later doesn't get the job done which again goes right in line with I guess you can call the theme or the, the point of the episode which was to contrast the different aspects of Star Trek yes because you have not ten, oh my god I forgot the, the main character's name Oh, Mariner. Mariner. You have Mariner, who is very much shoot first, ask questions ask later, question and later. then you have Tendi and Rutherford, who are very much the classic Star Trek era, TNG, TOS era characters. Yes. So you have that contrast there, and you get to see them do something a little different. You see Mariner's growth as an Still, individual, as a person. Yeah, The fact that she's able to finally admit that she does truly care about Boimler Boimler. and she's actually happy to see him. That's definitely character growth because this was a character last year that was afraid of human contact, human emotion, you know, getting too touchy touchy, expressing her feelings. Well, not only
0: her interaction with the new character of jet was like really cool because you got to Mariner, got some character growth being shown that treating people like how she treated uh, Boimler Is not a good thing. Right. And I love the fact that we actually got to see Mariner learn something and actually add it to her by the end. And that that moment that before Boimler returns and they're they're all around talking with each other, uh, around the table getting drinks and stuff, you actually see some character girl from Mariner when she's talking with Jet and say, Hey, I'm sorry. We've never seen Mariner do something like that.
1: So no, that was actually a great, a great movement forward. Yeah, I like what they're doing with the characters. I am interested in seeing um, a myth arc soon. I know this show is more episodic, but there was definitely um, a subtle myth arc in the first season when it came to Mariner herself and her having to come face to face with her own insecurities and. Realizing that she makes mistakes and having to reconnect with her her mother, so I'm hoping we get to that. I know we're only on episode two, so we have time. But I do hope we get back into that. I I don't want that to take a backseat. I don't want Mike McMahon, you know, kind of going the opposite direction now, trying to keep things solely episodic, opposed to having some type of cohesive overall myth arc that does keep the series tight and consistent when it comes to characterization because that is the that is the best part about modern television is the serialized storytelling and it allows for a little bit of tighter nuance many times character development that feels a little more seamless yeah so we'll see what happens i am very patient and i have no problems with this show i'm sure that it will all end out end up just well is that, is that English? That isn't even English. <laughs> that wasn't even sure English. it'll end up just fine. fine. There we go. I'm go. very tired if and people if th- can't tell today.
0: If you think about it, Mike, I mean like in two episodes of season two, that's how good season two has been so far. Yeah. In contrast to season one, season one was a little rough because remember the me and you were like yeah. in the very beginning, of the first two episodes were like what the heck's going on? That's a on? good point, Dave. You're right. But by this in season two, the second episode, Mike McMahon is now in his stride. He now can focus on as as you said as you alluded to earlier, what's the myth arc? I'm I'm kind of hedging my bets that the myth arc is Mariner and Boimler coming to an understanding with each other because while Mariner's learning to be a better person, Boimler is also learning because like you got to remember in the first season, his whole goal was to get off the Cerritos because he wanted to excel. He wanted to be the best Starfleet officer ever and be on, on the Titan. And he got it. But now he realized that's not what he wanted. Yeah. And now it's kind of like we're yeah. going to actually hopefully see Boimler now basically realize, hey, I shouldn't take things so seriously. You
1: think that'll be a big part of his story?
0: Pretty much yeah. because that's how I feel that the two characters because they're I don't want to say that Mariner's the sole lead. I think she is the, not. I think Mariner and Boimler are the leads. Yeah, they're they're together the lead, and in this season we're going to see them come
1: together as you know a team. Yeah, I I agree very much. So if you look at the episode, everything was done in in pairs. You had the dual narratives between the Cerritos and the Titan. You had the two Boimlers, you had Mariner and the new character, which were basically the they were two. They were the same character. In and I'm many sorry. Ways, I think that was the point.
0: Were and, you giggling when the two Boimlers
1: showed up and they made reference to yeah. Riker's twin? Right, dude, the moment the moment he mentioned that and then he came up with a plan. I was like, it, OK, you, you're going to do that. And it still worked. It still made me it giggle. It still worked. Yeah. All right, Dave, since you kind of gave me your final thoughts, why don't you just add a score to that?
0: My score for this actually—I'm giving this one a really a, a relatively high score for lower decks. I actually have this written down for a 96.
1: Okay, 96. It's,
0: I think it's one of the highest I've ever scored lower decks because I I like the ideas that Mac, Mike McMahon was toying with because I do not see this as like a indictment against the new Star Trek. No. I see this as kind of like, hey, this is what Star Trek's all about. You have your serious moments, you have your your goofy moments. Yeah, Star Trek doesn't have to be all serious, but if you make it all goofy, that's also a bad thing. Right. Because then you can't take the series seriously. And and I like the fact that Mike McMahon, with his with his expertise, what he's shown in Rick and Morty, he's brought that over to Star Trek kind of gave us a very unique series. I would have to say that out of all the new Star Trek series right now, yes, I know that Strange New Worlds is coming and Prodigy is coming. I'm actually really excited for Prodigy. Mm -hmm. Currently right now, this is probably the most unique Star Trek series I've ever
1: seen. No, I would agree with you. In fact, we said that at the top of what, last last show that this was the most track of all tracks of of the Christian era and it's it continues to be that. And I'll follow you up with a pretty high percentage as well. I'm going to give this episode a 90%. I felt like it was smart. It was a nice I want to say fair look into Star Trek and the different iterations and what they can be and what they have been and what they may be in the future. I don't feel like it was a scathing indictment on Kurtzman era as well Dave so you and I agree with that however I do feel like he was stating the obvious hey look there are various there are obviously different versions of Trek and these are the pieces of evidence I'm going to present to you Yeah, TNG era, Kurtzman era, J.J. Abrams era to me he's just sorting through the obvious you know, and it's a very smart way to do it. So, 90, what did I give this? 90%. Yes. So 90%. And I apologize, Dave. I'm a little off tonight. I'm very tired. <laughs> this does bring us to the end of our discussion. I want to thank everyone for listening. Be sure to find us on Stitcher and iTunes. Give us a five-star rating so that we can get seen by more people and more people can find our show. Thank you, David. Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain? It runs deep. Share
0: it with me. End simulation.